We're going to be covering the entire chapter. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and here's the thing. I think when we approach the Bible, we often like to pick and choose what we read just simply because it's hard to understand some things, right? So you're probably not going to read Leviticus for fun. You're probably not going to read Revelation for fun. You might if you're like into like the end time stuff. Most of us probably not going to read prophecy or at least you look at it, have no idea what they're talking about and skip over it. The cool thing about this study is hopefully you're going to get like a little overview, overview as to what prophecy is and be able to learn more about God and his word and how it's applicable to your life. And so a lot of this will be application, but a lot of this will be information so that you're able to take it with you and kind of just understand the giant narrative of the Bible. Okay, so if you're taking notes, the title of this message tonight is King of Dreams. King of Dreams. We'll be in Daniel chapter 2. We'll read the first 13 verses. We'll pray and we will dive in. Last week we learned about how God is sovereign over every situation. We learned about that that Daniel and his friends were dragged off to Babylon. And even though they had not planned on going there, God was going to use them in the place that they were. Much like the Apostle Paul did not plan on going to prison, but while he was in prison, he's like, Psh, might as well evangelize a couple people. And people got saved even in prison. The place where you end up that you may not plan on going can still be a place that God wants to use you. That was a fun message last week. Today... We're going to talk about four lessons about revelation. Revelation is just simply revealing things, right? Bringing things into light. Helping us come into knowledge of certain things. Four lessons about revelation. Let's read in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My, my decision's firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you'll be cut into pieces and your houses will be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So this was like very common for those days. Remember, the king of Babylon, he didn't really care. Their morals were a little bit more corrupt back then, right? So the king of Babylon had no problem if you can't tell me what my dream is, you're supposed to be soothsayers, astrologers, magicians. If you can't tell me what my dream was, then I'm just going to cut you up in pieces and you're going to die. So that was kind of like what he was saying. And they said in verse 7, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying, corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. So most likely, he was a young king, and he was rising into power, and there were a bunch of uh, kind of like elders and different people that were counselors around him that had been with his father, 
He didn't trust them. He was like, these old guys, I don't even know if I can trust anything they're saying. And if I just say, here's my dream, you, and, and tell me the interpretation, they're just going to make stuff up. So he couldn't really trust them. And that's why he said, you have to tell me. If you're really, like, magical and all that stuff, you should be able to tell me the dream too. Verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord or ruler, has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his compadres to kill them. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your holy word, that you bring peace into this place, that you show us how we're to live, give us application, Lord, help us to focus and uh, remove any distractions, Lord. We want to hear from heaven. We don't want to leave here the same people. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you have to sympathize with the king, Nebuchadnezzar. He had had sleepless nights. And if you've ever, ever had insomnia, it's not fun, right? You're just up all night. You can't sleep. And this is the case for Nebuchadnezzar, except... It would seem that he had the same dream repeated over and over and over. And if you read the rest of the chapter, what you find out is he had this dream with this giant statue with a head of gold, a torso of different metal. And, and, and through this dream, he has this towering statue. And he sees it time after time after time until he couldn't sleep anymore. And so he knew that this was not like any other dream. This dream was different. Sometimes you have funky dreams, right? Sometimes you have... Dreams are like, maybe that means something, I'm not really sure. But there was no doubt in Nebuchadnezzar's mind that this dream was trying to convey a message to him. This is completely different than anything else. But if that's true, how in the world is Nebuchadnezzar supposed to find out what whoever it is out there is trying to convey to him? How is he supposed to figure out what this message is saying unless somebody gives the interpretation? Unless somebody gives the revelation? It's similar to our day and age, isn't it? If you go outside and, and say that you're not a Christian, you look at the sky, you probably figure that this world didn't just happen by accident, right? You read the textbooks about evolution and how things just happened by natural processes, and it's, it seems like, okay, maybe that's true. But then the more you think about it, the more you're like, this universe is so big that we really believe that it just exploded into existence for no reason whatsoever. And if that's true, that means everything's an accident. And if everything's an accident, that means that there is no real purpose for you being alive. Other than a purpose that you make for yourself, right? But as my friend who's a pastor in Calvary, Philly says, the problem with this, the problem of making up your own meaning and your own purpose in life is this. That any value you ascribe to yourself is only sentimental value. What's sentimental value? Well, it's kind of like if you have an old pair of sneakers that you wore when you were like five years old and you just treasure these sneakers, you might love them and has sentimental value, right? You love them, but if you show those sneakers to anybody else, nobody cares about your stinky five-year-old sneakers. This is the problem with ascribing value to yourself is that it only has value for you 
but nobody else sees the objective worth of your life. And this is what causes people to want to become something. They want to rise to the top of the mountain and say, here I am. I'm significant. I'm important. I'm special. But if everybody's special, then nobody's special in particular. If everybody wants to say, I'm important, then it seems that nobody's important in particular. This is the problem of trying to ascribe value to yourself. So then you look at the world and you say, well, it doesn't seem true that our lives are meaningless. It doesn't seem true that this world is an accident. So how in the world are we supposed to find out why I'm put on this earth? How am I supposed to find out what kind of being created all of this? If I really believe that there is a God, and this is where all the religions come in. You have over 2,000 different religions that all say different things about God. But how are we supposed to know what's true and what's false? You see, you need somebody to convey the message to you. Now listen, think about this. Let's say that we could construct some kind of um, incubation chamber where you could have a baby just in this incubation chamber and just grow up, but nobody ever communicated with that baby. The baby would stay a baby, even if you fed it, even if you gave it water. The baby would not be able to understand the contents of its own brain. This is the problem with something called solipsism. You don't need to write that down. But it's the view that there's only one mind in the universe. See, the problem with evolution, too, is like if there's one being that existed and it was kind of just randomly created by itself or whatever, it just came into existence, whatever word you want to use, it wouldn't be able to understand the contents of the universe. Just as babies need people to teach things to them, human beings need revelation from a higher being to show them why we are here. What does this all mean? How are we supposed to figure out by ourselves? Well, here is the good news. And this is what we believe as Christians. Because this is what happens in verse 12. In verse, or verse 11, sorry is that the astrologers, the sorcerers told Nebuchadnezzar, listen, the thing you're asking for us to tell you what the dream is, we can't do that. No one else can tell to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. But in Christianity, we believe, John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God has chosen to reveal himself, to tell us what he is like through the person of Jesus Christ. We don't have to despair like Nebuchadnezzar, who's like, how in the world am I supposed to figure out what this dream means? Because Jesus Christ has come into the world to tell us what God is like. I heard her illustration, Pastor Lloyd was actually sharing with a, a bunch of prisoners on Sunday. We did some prison, prison ministry, and he used this illustration I thought was, like, amazing. He said, um, so anybody look at the eclipse, right, the recent eclipse? I was actually on a plane, so I wasn't able to look at it. But you weren't supposed to look at it, right? You had to get the special goggles or glasses or something. And the whole point is the sun is way too powerful that if you stare at it, you can actually go blind. So what you need is something to conceal that light so that you're able to understand it, so you're able to look at it without damaging your eyes. So it has to be concealed so that it can be revealed. This is what happened with Jesus. No one can see God and live, the Bible says. So Jesus had to be enfleshed as a human being, concealed so that he could reveal what God is like. We have hope in Jesus 
that we don't have to look at the stars and wonder what God is like because Jesus showed up in this universe to, to tell us exactly who he is. Now, here's an objection I hear all the time, okay? So maybe you don't encounter people like this. If you talk to unbelievers, you walk outside and say hello to the person at the supermarket, ask them why they don't believe in God, they might say something like this. I don't believe that anyone can know who God is. I don't believe anyone can know. I don't think you can know. I don't think I can know. Nobody can know. Like, that's arrogant. Who are you to tell me that I can't know who God is? Like, to say that, first of all, is to say you surveyed all of the knowledge in the universe and you are positive that no one can go beyond what you've searched out. That's to say, I know everything there is to know about the universe and no one can know God because I've sought every avenue. It's impossible. So then I would ask a person like that, well, what do you think, uh, why do you think that is? Why don't you think anybody can know God? And they'll usually say something like, well, no one's gone to heaven. No one's gone, you know, died, and then no one's told us what happens after they die, or God hasn't opened up the sky and, and said, like, here I am, whatever. So then I'll throw things, out, uh, throw things out to them like that. So would you say if God decided to write in the sky, I'm here, that would be a sufficient proof of saying that God is real? Like, oh, maybe. If, if in the sky God says, hey, I'm Jesus, by the way, is that good enough? Like, yeah, that's good. Well, what if someone actually died and came back from the dead and said, like, who God is? Do you think that's good? Yeah, that, that, that would be su sufficient. What if 2,000 years ago that actually happened? Jesus Christ died, and then he rose again and told us who God is. Oh, well, that doesn't count. Why? Because it happened 2,000 years ago? If you do your research, you do the, the history work, you find out that is exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. And for us to say, well, it's just so far, far gone and so long ago, I, didn't, I don't know if anyone can know, is to ignore the fact that we have more access to information now than any other human being in all of human history. And I think we're going to be held accountable for that knowledge. We're going to see God face-to-face face face one day, and we're not going to be able to have the excuse of saying, nobody told me who you are, because we have every avenue in order to experience him. And this is what Jesus did. He revealed himself to the person uh, God reveals himself through the person of Jesus. And additionally, God has chosen to reveal his plans for the world. This is what it says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. You've probably heard this verse before. No, uh, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Everybody knows that verse, right? We love that verse. Like, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared. You'll know God's plans because it's just so beyond us. But do you know what the next verse says? It says this, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Essentially, this is, this is what he's saying. I'll, I'll use an analogy. If I'm a mad scientist and we take any one of you, we put you on a you know, laboratory table and say, I want to know what you're thinking. And we open up your brain and then we look at the, the synapses that are firing, the electrons, and we're trying to match out these brain waves and trying to interpret it. What are you thinking just by simply opening up your skull and looking at the electrical impulses? That'd be a very difficult way, and some people debate whether or not you can actually find out people's thoughts that way. 
But here's another, another way you can find out what a person's thinking. They just tell you. Hey, this is what I'm, you don't have to do any of that work, okay? So if you're a mad scientist, you want to like open up people's brains to find out what they're thinking, you can just ask them and they'll tell you. Here's the thing. If you want to know God's thoughts, all you have to do is ask him. Because he's given you his spirit. This is what the Bible is saying. You can't know a person's thoughts unless you have their mind, but we have the mind of Christ because we have his Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean that we can know the future? Like, now all I have to do is, like, search deep within myself. Ask the Holy Spirit, and I can know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I can start predicting the weather. No. No, stop that. That's stupid. And here's why. Okay, so if you want to, like, nerd out for a second, think about this. You may, uh, you should probably tell your parents I said this, but, like, you're probably going to take this out of context, and your parents are going to get mad at me. So here's the thing. Jesus was not omniscient, all-knowing in his human nature. Okay, that's true. Your parents will agree with it. Just if you take it out of context, they probably won't. So Jesus was not all-knowing in his human nature. How do I know that? Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour that he's going to return. Not even the son knows, only the father knows. Okay, so not even Jesus knew exact details about the future. But... We can know the big headline of God's plans. And that's what he wants to communicate. You may not know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you know God does. And he's willing with his Holy Spirit to tell you what his plans are for you. What his thoughts are like. What he wants you to do. What your calling is. You can ask him. You don't have to sit around wondering. You don't have to ask other people. You can go to the source of all wisdom. And that's Jesus. And that's his Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. Your first point for tonight is this. In Jesus, mysteries are made manifest. In Jesus, mysteries are made manifest. Isn't this what Jesus says in John 14, 6? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to know the way, look at me. If you want to know truth, look at me. He's the one who has it all. Jeremiah 33, 3 says this. Call to me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So we should know who to go to for direction in the present. This leads us to number two, which is this. Seek God's counsel first in crisis. So in Jesus, mysteries are made manifest, but number two, therefore we should seek God's counsel first in crisis. So back to the story of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is confused. Somebody tell me this dream. If you're not going to tell me, I'm going to kill all of you, including Daniel, because remember last week, he was one of those wise men. He was, this is in the middle of his three years of training. So that being the case, what happens in verse 14? Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So what did he do? He panicked. He freaked out. He said, oh, no, I got to run away. No, he, he didn't. This is what he did. Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
his companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was re revealed to Daniel in night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So this is what happened. Daniel and his friends began to pray. They didn't presume. They turned to God and asked him to bring the revelation of this dream. Otherwise, they would be killed, just like every other wise man. And so as this guy, the captain of the guard, was going off killing people, Daniel says, whoa, why is this so urgent? Like, why do you got to kill everybody right now? You can't wait a week. Just, like, chill out. And then he told him what happened. And he says, all right, I can figure it out. Let me go with my homies. Let me pray. We'll come back to you. And that's exactly what he did. So let me ask you this. When you're in a crisis, who do you turn to? Is it God? Do you bring your quest straight to God? Do you bring it to an astrologer? <laughs> Probably not, right? Your horoscope? Do people even look at that anymore? I don't know. Unfortunately, if you think about what happened in, in the Bible, remember King Saul? At one point, he actually brought his request about the Philistines. Will I be able to beat them in battle? He brought it to who? The witch of Endor. Which was forbidden. You're not supposed to consult witches, especially in that day. But the king veiled himself. He pretended like he was somebody else. Went to this witch to conjure up Samuel, the prophet, so that he could get direction from the Lord. Why would Saul consult a witch of all people? Well, you see, people take extreme measures when they're desperate. And you and I do this all the time. Think about this. What are you told to do if a plane is crashing? Take your head and put it in between your knees. Why? Doesn't seem to make any sense. But when you're desperate, you just try anything. When the clock turns 11-11, how many of us in our desperate moments just make wishes? You're just like praying to time, I don't know, that you don't have to take a test tomorrow. When you're desperate, you take desperate measures. And this happens in real life. When you need direction from, from God, even though you're, you know it's not the right thing to do, you take your Bible, just flip it open and point your finger down and waiting. You're just hoping and praying that even though it's like ridiculous, it's silly, maybe you're going to be able to hear from heaven. Or maybe in a time of crisis, you're looking for confirmation. You're looking for a sign. You're looking for a pattern, numbers to point out to you, or like a literal sign. You're looking for a miracle so that you know that what you're doing is right or wrong. But I think we could save ourselves a lot of anguish if we just go, to the, go straight to the source of wisdom himself. If we just go up to God. Ask him, what does he think about this? So let me ask you. Once again, everyone look up here. When you're in a desperate situation, who do you go to first? Do you go to your friends? Imagine. So life crisis, right? Who do you talk to first? Do you pray? You go straight to God? You go to your friends? You go to your family? Who do you talk to? Because here's the thing. If you know that God is the source of all wisdom, then this is what it leads to. You start seeing people rightly in that people are only instruments of wisdom, not objects of wisdom. This is huge, okay? We need to see people not as objects of wisdom that you're supposed to like get confirmation from or talk to people like they're going to be able to tell you your life secrets or just give you and help you out. They are only wise 
as it pertains to whether or not they give you God's words. If they're just speaking from their stomachs, they're speaking from their heart, they're speaking from their gut, they're not speaking from the Lord, it's not wisdom. So we need to get the source of wisdom if we want to be guided in the way that leads to life. We need to be directed to Jesus, who's the source. So here's the third point. People can be instruments of wisdom, but not the source. And this is what Daniel admits in verse 20. After the secret was revealed to Daniel, he answered and said, verse 20, Blessed be the God of the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things and knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with them. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. So Daniel knows that it's God alone that gives wisdom. And here's, here's how this is practical, okay? This would help us to avoid so much bad counsel. You're talking to your friends and you're like, I don't know, like, this guy cheated on me. I'm not really sure what to do. And they're like, listen, you need to just like, I don't know. I think you just got to like, just forgive him anyway and just keep on dating him. And he'll be fine. It's like, yeah, well, he's doing drugs too. But like, that's yeah, fine. Love covers a multitude of sins, you know, like, like at some point you got to just take what people are saying and ask yourself, does this correspond to God's words? Are they taken out of context? This will also save us from hearing bad teaching. A lot of people can say stuff that rhymes together, but it doesn't actually like have any basis in scripture. Like one of my favorite things that I, I hear people say all the time, which is not true, is like I've heard so many preachers throw on their Instagrams, expectation determines experience. God only shows up where he's expected. It's not true at all, but it sounds good. So people just repeat it and it's stupid. And what they use that to say is like, we have to expect God to not, are you expecting? Because if, if you don't expect God to show up, he's not going to show up. But if you expect, expect God to do great things, he's going to do great things. And that's, you know what that is? That's legalism. Sometimes God shows up where you don't expect him at all, and that's called grace. Sometimes God shows up in a teenage girl's life named Mary and says, hey, you're going to conceive a son. Are you expecting? No, she wasn't. She technically was. Sometimes you're sitting in the middle of the field and you're Jacob. You're laying down, you're sleeping, and then there's like angels going up and down descending. And he says, huh, surely God is in this place and I did not know it. He wasn't expecting it at all. You got to look at scripture and ask yourself, well, that sounds great. Does it conform to God's word? Because if it's not, it's not true and it's not going to help me. We need to do that with what our friends tell us, okay? The safe thing to do is, is like, Take what your friend is saying, like, that's, that's very nice. Let me talk to somebody older and wiser who knows the scriptures so that I'm making sure I'm going to the source of wisdom and seeing you like you're an instrument of wisdom. You may, you may play right or wrong notes depending on whether or not you're corresponding to the song that God is writing. So, make people the instruments of wisdom, not the source. Paul knew this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says in verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being 
from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not the letter, but the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is what Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 30. Look at chapter 2, verse 30. It says, but as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes, who make known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. So Ariok, the captain dude, he was just like, hey king, by the way, I found a guy who's going to be able to tell you the dream. Like he tried to take the credit. And then Daniel's like, oh, hold on. I'm not the guy either. I'm just going to tell you what God tells me. He's the one with all of the wisdom. Okay, let's move on to the prophecy, the difficult part. Verse 31. Hopefully that was practical enough. Now we're going to get to the hard stuff. So put on your thinking caps. Put on your thinking seat belts. I don't know. Verse 31. You, O king, were watching. He explains the dream now. And behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together, became like chaff from the summer's threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay. So this is what he tells him. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. Not the king of kings, but a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. And after you, it's going to be another kingdom inferior to yours, etc. He's going to keep on talking. We'll stop there for a second, though. What he's saying here, in this vision, there's uh, represented the, the different parts of the body represented different world empires, okay? The first one was Nebuchadnezzar, which is the head of gold, which symbolized the empire of Babylon. Chest and arms of silver was the Medes and the Persians. Belly and thighs of bronze is Greece. And the legs of iron with the feet of iron and clay was Rome. So what's interesting about this is that it starts off with the most precious metal and it decreases in value, but increases in strength. Really interesting. Like, I don't know if like God was planning that when he created all the metals and stuff, but like it's really interesting to think about like the most precious metal was actually heavier and not as strong, but more valuable. And the stronger metals actually were least valuable and actually lighter. So it's just interesting thought. So Nebuchadnezzar, being the head of gold, had been blessed with a splendorous kingdom that would be unmatched by subsequent earthly kingdoms. As kingdoms replaced his, they would be less in beauty, less in splendor, but they would be stronger. And so since he was given all this, you know, he was given the head of gold, he ought to have given the glory to God, but instead, as we're going to see in chapter 4 later on, he prided himself in his own accomplishments. Nebuchadnezzar is not like, man, I'm pretty awesome. I like took over the world. That's pretty cool. And God's like, no, 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 hold, hold on. You are my servant. I put you here. I could have put anybody here, but I put you here. So we ought to give God the glory when God puts us in the places that we are. God could have put you in any place, 
at any time. And he chose to put you in this place and in this time so that you would be a good steward of it and you'd be able to reach others with the good news. He could put you in a, in a poorer family in the middle of Africa somewhere. But he chose to put you here so that you'd be able to use the resources to bless those poor people that are in Africa or wherever they are in the world. And we can't take that lightly. So as we go into this section about prophecy real quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. It's just going to whet your appetite so we can think about it and talk about it more because it's going to go crazy deep later on. Note about prophecy, okay? God tells us how history will play out, but also tells us what history means, okay? He's going to tell us, as he tells Nebuchadnezzar, how world events will play out. There will be four kingdoms that, that exist, four world empires. And the interesting thing about this, you can even go on Wikipedia, is people say, oh, well, there are multiple people that written Daniel because it's really weird that he would know the future before it happens. Like, especially because Rome, like, never took over um, from Greece at that point. It was, like, second century B.C., so it's like the fact that he knew those things before it happened is like pretty crazy. It gets even more explicit as you look at chapter 7. It's like pretty plain and clear. It's like it's not saying like, hey, maybe this is what the country is. It's like it says it, there, it, says it right there in the Bible. So there's no mistaking it. God knows. It's, it's not hard for God to tell you how history will play out. He's behind all of history. But he also tells you what history means. Now, I just finished an audiobook about this guy named Hegel, which... Uh, you will probably never read about him in your life. Not be, uh, you, maybe you will. His books are notable for being the most, some of the most difficult books to read in all of like humanity. Like legit. If you open up his books, it's unintelligible to most people. That's kind of, kind of why I was like really interested. But one of Hegel's main thoughts is he's tracing the development of society over the, the, the time in history. So what, is, what has happened with society? The fact that this idea of freedom has been further developed and people want to be free and like, it's interesting that like if, if all of this world is just random and chance and stuff, then history shouldn't mean anything. Right? We should look at history and just be like, okay, some, some, king, some kingdoms rise up and some others crumble. But it seems like there's development. There's a storyline behind history, a common thread that goes throughout. And Hegel sees this. And God says, yeah, and I'm behind it. I'm the one who's making it that way to convey a story. It's interesting to note that Babylon was the most glorious kingdom and it was replaced. Think about this. This isn't arbitrary that the kingdoms that replace it get stronger, but they're not matching the glory of Babylon. And this is what happens. What we're going to see is, remember, Alexander the Great comes in and he conquers the world and he dies at an early age. And after him, his kingdom's divided. It goes to different people. And then Rome comes in. Remember, Rome is uh, in charge at the time of Jesus. And even in Rome, they weren't able to sustain their empire. And all of this is to show one thing. That there is a rock that's cut out without hands that came to strike at the toes at the culmination of human history and to show world empires that human government can't govern itself. We need the true king who is King Jesus. Now that stone, which was cut out of this mountain without hands, grows into this mountain, which is the kingdom of God. That's kind of what it symbolizes. So interesting that God is showing us, as it starts off from this glorious kingdom, everyone's trying to go back to that, trying to go back to Babylon with the hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They want to achieve that, and they're not able to, even though 
We have more power now. We have more nuclear bombs. We have more military might than any other people group in all of human history. Yet we're not able to match the splendor. Things are getting worse. Things are digressing. Now in evolution, things should progress, but we're digressing. We're going backwards. And that's because God is showing us something. He's teaching us something that we need him. So he's the rock that crushed and he goes into the mountain. We all enter his kingdom and live happy, happily ever after. Hopefully, if you believe in him. Here's the conclusion of all the things that we went over today. What will be said of us when our time is up? What will be said of us when our time is up? When we enter heaven, hopefully, like, hopefully you're a follower of Jesus tonight. If you're not, hopefully some of this was convincing. But um, when we get to heaven and like, I don't know, I've always imagined that one day we're going to kind of like watch, I guess, I guess this is like my eight-year-old mind because I'm imagining like a TV where we pop in like the VHS player, you know, the tape of like history and we're all watching it together like I don't know maybe we won't do that but I'd like to do that I'll ask God when we get to heaven if we can just like watch everything like the highlights of the world you know but if we get to do that and God pops in our tape or cd-rom or mb3 he like pulls it up on the live stream not live stream I don't know he pulls up you get what I'm saying he pulls up your record and says, let's watch it together. How many of us would be embarrassed because there's really nothing to show, right? We're watching it like, here's the highlight of so-and-so's life. Let's watch it. Okay, he played a lot of video games. Great. And he asked out some girls in high school. Um, all right, next person. Cool. Or will he be like, all right, let's look at this guy. And he's like, oh my gosh, he battled demons and he conquered emperors that don't exist. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, wouldn't it be cool to be proud as everybody watches your life on the highlight reel? Wouldn't that be fun? And it's not because we're like, we need to, but it'd just be cool. I think it would be cool if I got to heaven and then there's people up there like, hey, thanks for letting me in. Like, thanks for telling me about Jesus because I'm here because of you. Wouldn't you want to go to heaven and not be alone? And be like, Here, here's posse. Like, all those people, like, I had investment in their life, and they're here now. That's what I want to do. So if you'd like to join, you can sign up by praying a prayer afterwards. <laughs> that would be the worst altar call ever, by the way. <laughs> How many of you want to sign up for Jesus? <laughs> Just, oh, man. I don't think anyone's ever tried that, by the way. That would make us super unique if we have a sign-up sheet <laughs> going around. Oh, too much fun. Okay. So if you're new to the group, our heart here is that you are plugged into a family here. You're not just here for four years, but you have people that want to remind you of this truth your entire life. When you're going through some difficult times, we're telling you those truths. Hey, listen. You don't have to do this alone. You can ask the one who is all wise. You can ask God himself. And I'm an instrument that will help you get there. Let me, let me remind you of what God says in his word. He says, in this world, you'll have tribulations. You're going to go through suffering, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need that, right? I need that all the time. And that's why we come here. Not because we have to. Not because you're supposed to and we're like religious. But just because like, why would you... The reason why I, I, I went to youth group when I was in high school is because I was afraid that if I didn't show up on a Friday night, I might miss out on what God wanted to say to me. I was afraid if I missed that one night, 
then I would like, everyone would be like, oh man, it was amazing. And like, what if God wanted to speak to me that night? He's going to be like, hey, here's the future. This is what I want you to do. And I was going to tell you, but like, you missed out. Sorry. I just, I don't want to miss out. If God has plans for me, I want to know what they are. If God wants to use me, I want to do it. And hopefully you do too. So why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes, enter into a time of prayer. And Lord, we, we do want to be used of you, Lord. And we know that you're not just sovereign over every situation, but you're sovereign over human history, Lord. You have plans and you know the future, you know the beginning, and you know what we want, what you want to do in us right now in, in this moment. And we pray, Lord, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you set us apart from the world so we can have an effect in the world. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, but is curious to know who you are, we thank you that you have given us not only the written word, but you've given us the living word through your son Jesus, who can show up in this place and reveal to them what you were like. And I pray that you would do that. Lord, we pray that this fall that we would see amazing things that we would see the fact that you want to use us. We have a purpose. So teach us how to do that, Lord, that we have boldness going into our schools, starting Bible clubs and, and all those things, Lord. We want to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go into a time of small groups, but if you are curious to know more about God, feel free to grab any one of the leaders after uh, small groups. Guys on this side, girls on this side, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and then seniors in the back.